0: A striking trend we're seeing right now is that we have all country groups in Sub-Saharan Africa grow at a at a robust to fast pace. So the low-income countries in particular are now growing at rates between five and seven percent. This is due to good harvests and a good agricultural production in many countries. We also have continued investment in natural resources and infrastructure in many countries. Uh, I should also mention that uh, several countries in, in the fragile group uh, have had a, a turnaround, uh, for example, a country like Cote d'Ivoire, so that we, we see a rebound effect in those countries. What about for next year? So for next year, we actually see prospects, well, we see them in an in even a better light. We think that a country like Nigeria, which of course is is one of the most important economies uh, on the continent, will see growth accelerate even further because in 2013 there were some problems with uh, continued supply disruptions in the oil sector and the country has taken steps uh, to address uh, the situation. So we can expect our production will pick up in Nigeria, bringing uh, the aggregate growth rate to 4.5% in 2014. So quite an optimistic
1: upbeat outlook for this year and also next year, because growth is accelerating in 2014, you expect. Nevertheless, there are risks involved. And one of the risks that you highlight in the report is the danger of slowing demand from outside this region. Can you expand on that?
0: Correct. So I think a trend that also is maybe not so much, uh, you know, on the minds of people is that... Exports to BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, uh, constitute now one-third of all non-oil export from the regions. Of course, the flip side of this is that whatever demand development we have in BRICS has uh, a stronger impact also on sub-Saharan Africa. So, uh, as you know, there's some reason to believe that there might be some rebalancing taking place in China. Uh, with a slowdown of um, appetite for African uh, raw materials. So that could have an impact, of course, on on trade of the region.
1: And this is very much connected with the second possible risk that you outline in in the, the report, that of a drop in commodity prices. Can you elaborate on that?
0: Yeah, I think right now the baseline we have is not a really sharp drop so in commodity prices. So we still expect uh, commodity prices to hold up, but one has to look a little bit more at the detail maybe. So there might be some developments, for example, related to gold that uh, could affect gold producers such as Burkina Faso, Tanzania and other countries. So I think there uh, one should look a little bit more in detail.
1: So we've already discussed the possible drop in demand from outside of this region. And we've also mentioned the possible drop in commodity prices and the impact that would have on sub-Saharan Africa. But the major risk that you see is the end of unconventional monetary policy in the developed countries. What impact would that have on sub-Saharan Africa?
0: I think the relatively favorable, or actually very favorable, growth outturn we have seen in in sub-Saharan Africa for quite some time now has benefited also from abundant global liquidity. And of course, if that liquidity, you know, becomes more scarce now, then uh, conditions in, in the countries change. So we have already seen Uh, some net capital outflows from some countries. We have a whole group of countries we call frontier markets that have been issuing paper at good rates uh, more recently. So uh, I can outline two effects there. First of all, countries that meant to go to the market will now might even postpone going to the market. And then second, of course, debt for many African countries will now become more expensive
1: we said at the right at the beginning of the, of this interview that sub-saharan africa had performed very well in the last decade or or so but in the report you make an impl- implication that the benefits of that haven't been widely shared mm-hmm. uh, can you elaborate on that
0: right i think it's some countries well as we said before have uh, benefited from very, very robust growth for quite some time now. But often populations uh, come to us and they say, well, we haven't really seen the the benefits and the fruits of this growth. So we have looked at these issues much more carefully and we have uh, seen that in some cases, even though countries have grown very fast, um, inequality in those countries has actually risen. So the question then is what can policymakers do to uh, increase what we call or bring uh, more quality to this growth and, and make growth, growth and, more and inclusive. Share it out. exactly so share it across populations more more evenly. And so if we have done some research uh, in this respect also, uh, creating fiscal s- fiscal space for uh, better targeted expenditure is certainly uh, very important. Uh, so by that you basically mean
1: spending on maybe welfare and social spending rather than on other things
0: for example we have uh, also a fiscal department of course that uh, has done poverty and social impact analysis and we we find that um, general subsidies in the energy sector for example are often not very well targeted um, for very you know simple reasons i lived in burkina for four years the poor of course they don't have a car, they don't even have a little motorbike, uh, they have nothing, or maybe they have a bicycle. So uh, if you subsidize fuel, you, by definition almost, you will not reach the poorest segments of society. So we encourage countries to shift away from these uh, general subsidies in, for example, related to fuel and in the energy sector more generally. And yeah, direct them towards better targeted expenditures.